Hey guys, this is Everything Missing or Murdered Podcast. My name is Andrea. <clears throat> I hope everyone's doing great today. It's it's a beautiful day here. It's a little, um, it's not really beautiful in the sense that it's sunny. It's just, it's nice and cool and I like cool weather. I don't like hot weather. I'm weird that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am much better today. I'm not sick anymore. I'm just got a frog in my throat. Um, I had some personal personal issues last week so I did not make an episode but this is going to be a weekly uh, podcast so I apologize I'm trying to keep a day down but at least expect an episode a week Uh, this week I'm doing two maybe three I haven't decided they're all gonna be separate cases though unless like I find a case which I am working on one that like may take me longer than one episode but we'll see When I created this podcast, I didn't want to do two-parters or three-parters, but there's nothing wrong with that. I just didn't want that. Uh, I'm going to be doing two cases in this episode. Um, One, well, they're both kind of crazy. One is insanely weird, um, so you'll have to bear with me on that one. The other one is just as weird, but, well, not just as weird, it's just weird. Uh, but we'll just get into that then. And uh, also, the next two episodes for sure will be unsolved uh, murder case. So hopefully it'll be... Hopefully it'll go well. I don't talk very well, and I apologize for that. I'm trying. I'm not nervous anymore, though, because I've made... This will be my 13th episode, so I've made uh, quite a few episodes, and I'm doing... I think I'm doing better, talking-wise. <laughs> All right. Jeremy Bryant went to the Coos County Fair in Oregon with his nine-year-old sister and a group of his friends on August 14, 1986. Jeremy and his sister went their separate ways at around 2 p.m., agreeing to meet up again near the Ferris wheel at 5. Jeremy never showed up and has never been seen again. Jeremy lived in Grants Pass, Oregon in 1986, but he grew up in Myrtle Point and had a lot of relatives living there. According to Jeremy's mom, Myrtle Point is a small town. It has two stoplights, three schools, a motel, two markets, and a lot of churches. Now, um, so when she talked about that, I read a post from 2007 or 8. So I wasn't sure if, like, the town grew more, but I did look it up on google earth and it still seems pretty small like you blink and it wouldn't be there you'd miss it so um so i think it's pretty accurate there still like that it is 25 miles from the ocean a lot of ranching and logging it would seem jeremy and his sister loved going to the fair and their stepdad agreed to take them for the week so they could go and enjoy it jeremy left his keys and wallet behind at his stepdad's house, as well as a watch he had just purchased. Now, some people, some accounts said that that's crazy that he would leave his wallet, but I don't know. He's 14. I don't carry, I mean, when I was that age, I wouldn't carry much around with me either. So, Jeremy talked to his mom on a payphone on the day he went missing, and she said their conversation seemed pretty normal. There was some maybe sightings of Jeremy. 
I know I said he has never been seen again, but none of them were confirmed. Jeremy was a basketball player, and he was looking forward to starting high school, so it's not like he decided to run away. Didn't seem like it to me. And um, so, like, these sightings, I wasn't sure if it was... I couldn't... Uh, by all accounts, I couldn't find exactly if it was... If he was seen after, um, like right after with his friends, um, after he met with his sister, or if they're talking like well after, because um, there was one sighting that seemed to be at nighttime. So I, I'm not sure, but they weren't confirmed sightings, like I said. Rumors came out that Jeremy was accidentally shot during target practice or while swimming in the Coquille River. And the Coquille River is right outside of town, it looked like, and kind of goes in it as well. So it, it's a pretty lengthy river, and yeah, so it's right there. So that seems to be, like, that could be possible that he was there. Or that he died off... A drug overdose at a party and his friends disposed of his body to avoid possible legal consequences. None of these rumors have been confirmed, but the Coos County Sheriff believes he died the day he went missing. The police do not think Jeremy left on his own. He was close to his sister and it would have and it wouldn't have not been like him to just leave her and not come back, and he did not take his wallet or any clothes when he went missing. Yeah, 14 is a pretty good age to realize you can't just leave your younger siblings somewhere, so I really don't think he left on his own either. Jeremy's mom and stepdad were going through a divorce, and he might have been upset about it. Jeremy's grades dropped during the school year. Jeremy was described as popular, and he was gonna, he, he is a star basketball player, so uh, it just he just seemed excited about starting school. Someone... So someone being excited about the future would not just run off, in my opinion. I mean, anything can happen, but, I, I, you know, I don't know for sure. Terry Steinoff is a person of interest in Jeremy Bright's disappearance. He is Jeremy's former babysitter, and witnesses say they saw Jeremy sitting with him in a truck that night. Terry was not cooperative with the investigation, and in January 1988, he stabbed a woman to death. He pleaded guilty to murder and was sentenced to life in prison. Terry Steinoff died in prison in 2007. Jeremy Bright's family think he is no longer alive and held a memorial for him in August 2011 on his 25th anniversary of being missing. Jeremy's mom thinks his body is somewhere in Coos County. On Unsolved.com, the rumors were as follows. Jeremy went to a party in Myrtle Point and had a beer laced with a drug. Another said that three older teens showed up at a local place people would hang out and swim and harass Jeremy and his friends. But that information apparently came from a jailhouse informant. They were told they took him to a cabin within maybe 10 miles of the Myrtle Point area and tried to get him back better. He died as a result of the injuries and it was either from loss of blood or infection. The informant said that Jeremy's body would have been found 200 feet from the cabin in a shallow grave. The police did search the area around the cabin but did not find anything. I don't know if anyone has read or read, listened to Trail Went Cold, um, but the the host of that podcast, Robin Warder, uh, I love it. I love 
him and I love the the whole podcast. <laughs> he made a post a few years ago on Reddit and provided a link to an Unsolved Mysteries message board. And I know he reads that quite often, so I, I do not want to look like I'm trying to, like, I'm not trying to copy him or anything. I just came upon this case and was like, oh my gosh, he wrote a write-up. And then I saw some links and I was like, oh, the Unsolved Mysteries board. Um, so I just went to look just specifically for this one. Um, he has a very well done podcast and I'll probably not to get, get to that level, but this case just so happens to be linked to that board. So I read that just for that specific case. Jeremy's sister posted on it and she thinks that Terry Steinoff had a cousin of his and they did something with Jeremy. She said that Jeremy wouldn't have gone willingly with him because they did not hang out. So it would not make sense for, for Jeremy to just go with him. So maybe he was lured if, if that's the case. Not sure. I mean, um, Carrie was named a person of interest, but he was never arrested. So you, you can't really, you know, innocent until proven guilty kind of thing. When the police were notified about Jeremy's disappearance, they said that he would be back with the fair when the fair was packed up and gone, which, what? Why? Because he's a young teenager? If a parent tells you this is not like him, it is not, in fact, like him. Once the fair packed up and was gone, his mom went back to the police and they said they had to wait 72 hours after the report was filed, which... You said wait until the fair was over, and now you are saying wait 72 hours, because I think the fair took two days. Like, I think after Jeremy went missing, I think it was maybe two, three days before the fair was done, and then they went back to the police, and then they said 72 hours. That's just too much time, and, and listening to podcasts and watching documentaries, um, they always say like the first 24 or 48 hours is really critical when, when it's a like a, a missing persons or um, an abduction. Like it, it just feels like that's way too much time. I mean, I'm not a cop, but I feel like that's just crazy to, to say that. Jeremy was gone for a week, a week before anyone did anything. That is just way too much time that they could have spent looking for him. I know they thought he was a runaway. I know they thought, like, maybe he joined the fair, which, I don't know, did so many people do that back then? Like, the carnival kind of theory? Jeremy's mom said on this same message board that about two years after Jeremy went missing, a car accident happened with four of Jeremy's good friends, and they did not survive. So basically, if they knew anything about what had happened, it's gone now. And, and that's just so sad. I feel it's a tragic accident. I feel for their families. I feel for Jeremy's families because they were with him. So they had to have seen something or, like, noticed something. I mean, I'm not blaming them at all because it's that's ludicrous to do. But um, it's just, you know, like... When, when you see something, you don't want to believe that it happened, or I don't think they had anything to do with his disappearance, but I'm sure they knew something because they were there, but it's just um, that we know of. I, I don't know if it's 100% that they were with him the whole time, or you know what could have happened, but um, it's such a small town. It's such a little, little town. Somebody knows something. 
and I don't think the police did enough. The case overturned to the sheriff's office after three months before anything really was done in Jeremy's case. That's way too long of a time to not look for a 14-year-old, or anyone for that matter. So I can't believe it. It's just hard to believe. And this is where the case stands today. I do not know what happened to Jeremy Bright, but I know he was not a runaway. He did not join the fair crew. He would not have just left his sister. I I do not think he went with anyone he did not know. I know some posts I saw people thought his friends might have done something, which I said no, I don't think so. But I I think they know what happened, and I don't want to be a person who believes that now that some are no longer here anymore, that does not mean the family will never know what happened to him. If it's as small as the town is described, someone in Myrtle Point saw something and knows. I hope someday the family can find out they deserve to know what happened to him and where he is. And that's basically all I have for that. Um, Jeremy Bright was 14 years old at the time of his disappearance. He was last seen wearing a black windbreaker jacket, a red tank top, blue shorts, and black shoes with red laces. Jeremy has brown hair and green eyes. He has a mole on his chin. He has scars on his forehead and nose. His feet are large for his height. His shoe size is of 13. Jeremy's left index finger was broken at the time he went missing. It's so sad. Like, that's just too young. And it's it's hard to hear of older cases and, and, you know, no, um, end in sight to those cases. And this is, this is the result of it. It's just depressing. Um, and I'm going to get into my other case here in one second here. All right. So this one is a head scratcher. So bear with me. Um, I know some podcasts have covered this case. Uh, I, I just felt like it was, um, and, and I didn't listen to their versions of it. Um, because I don't like to do that, but, um, there isn't a whole lot of information about this guy. Um, like it wasn't reported. It was reported, but I think there was like one newspaper clipping about him, but it wasn't anything like, it wasn't like confirmed connection. And basically like the police did ask for tips and, stuff but that's about it it's kind of sad but there isn't like the news media didn't really take liking to this one so I'm gonna talk about it because I think it's important and it's a head scratcher like I said so let's get into it Gary Adams reported his father missing on June 5th 1998 he said they went shopping together at Finley Market on Elder Street in Cincinnati at around 2 p.m. That's when Gary went into a butcher shop to buy some meat. And when he came back out, Walter Dunson, who is his father, was no longer there. Walter Dunson was carrying a black leather wallet that had some money in it. And uh, he might have also been carrying a lottery ticket. A clerk at CK Beauty Supply in Finley Market remembered selling one to a man matching Walter's description. Other people at Finley Market 
also remember seeing an elderly man that day, but he seemed to be younger, like 20 years younger than the way that Walter is described. The police think that the story that Gary gave them is wrong. It isn't truthful. And they also think that Walter Dunson died years, maybe even a decade before he disappeared, which I was just like, okay, what? How do you know that? Well, let's get into it. Gary Adams lived with his family in a rented accommodation in the 5700 block of Wyatt Avenue for around 18 years, and his landlord and neighbors do not recall, like remember seeing an elderly man living with them, which is crazy. And uh, especially since Gary lived there for years and he claimed that his dad lived with him, they never saw him. They never saw him leave. They never saw him come back. They, you know, it's crazy to me. Like, did they keep this man in a room somewhere or was he just a recluse? Walter's bedroom was at the top of a steep flight of stairs and there was not very many items in the room and it didn't appear to have been lived in recently, which is also very weird. There were no prescription medications for Walter in the house, even though he had a history of medical issues. Gary's son had lived in the room for two months in 1988, and he would come and visit the house a lot afterwards, and he said that he never met his grandfather or even heard of him until he was reported missing, which is not that crazy because I know people that like to keep their parents separate from their kids um, it, for, you know, volatile reasons, or they just sadly embarrassed like I know people have done that it's really sad um but the thing is I don't know how that's possible I mean if he lived there and that kid lived there because um I read somewhere that the neighbors said that they only saw Gary Adams his wife and their kids so if this kid lived with them you'd think he would have met his grandfather unless you know like I said he was a recluse and just didn't want to talk to anybody, which is bizarre. Because he seemed like a sociable guy. So, I don't know. Walter Dunson's driver's license expired in the 1970s and has not been renewed. There was a recent photo of him that the police, well, most recent, that the police found. Um, but it was from 1973. And... I mean, I guess that's possible. I know people that don't like taking their, getting their pictures taken at all, but that's a long chunk of time. Like we're saying 1973 to 1998 that he's supposedly been alive. That's a long time to not get your picture taken. He was hospitalized at Cincinnati's University Hospital three times in 1980 for treatment of dementia and maybe a mild stroke, but not has not been a patient there since which he could have gone to a different hospital i suppose he has not seen a doctor made an insurance claim had any prescriptions filled held a bank account voted or owned a library card since 1980. walter used to frequent a cafe called the elder cafe but no one has seen him there since 1980. he sometimes stayed at the drop-in center which is a local homeless shelter, in 1979 and 1980. But no one that lived there had seen him in many years 
and they did not recognize this picture of Walter as he's supposed to have looked in 1998, which I know people's faces change, but that's kind of crazy. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to see a pattern here. Walter once belonged to the Calvary Baptist Church in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati. He was an usher there, but none of the other church members remember seeing him since 1980. There is a pastor there who thought he'd seen Walter at like some time before 1986, but this pastor's sighting is the only evidence of Walter Dunson's existence past 1980 which is that's just I mean I guess he could have seen him and I want to I believe that he saw him but it's just that's that's it that's all they have <laughs> that that he exists the police brought this evidence to Gary Adams and told and he had like answers for them he was like walter does not believe in doctors okay well you know i know people that don't like doctors um walter doesn't believe in banks i know people that don't believe in banks but that is apparently why there's no more paper trail of him and that's why it stopped after 1980 which i'm just like yeah but what about health problems i mean you said he has health problems they didn't have any prescription for him like when you get older stuff happens so it's like what happened to him where is he he said that his dad was a quiet reclusive man who only went outside during the night because he worked late night shifts throughout his working career and was used to sleeping during the day which i guess that's possible but what Gary Adams also said that Walter kept to himself in part because he was afraid the family would get in trouble with their landlord for having too many tenants. But Gary's landlord says there are no restrictions on how many people can live in the house. Walter was reported missing um, after the Social Security Administration, or SSA, sent a letter his and Gary's house. The letter requested that Walter meet with an SSA representative in person to verify his identity. Smart. Walter had been drawing a pension and Social Security benefits since 1970, and the SSA was doing a routine procedure, which they do for all recipients approaching 100 years of age, to make sure he was still alive and receiving the payments and no one else was impersonating him to cash the checks. I just shocked that people do that. The police think that Gary had been co-signing his dead dad's checks and depositing them into his own account for years under the pretense that Walter was still alive. The amount of money over the years totaled over a hundred thousand dollars. Gary was convicted on twenty-five counts of theft of public funds in the spring of 1999 for stealing Walter's Social Security benefits. He was acquitted of 25 counts of forgery because they were unable to find a sample of Walter's handwriting to compare with his signature on the checks. And there was nobody to witness it either, so that's... that's sad. The court determined that Walter had been dead since at least 1985, 
and Gary had been misappropriating his benefits since 1986. Gary Adams was sentenced to 24 months in prison and ordered to pay restitution. He has never been criminally charged in connection with his dad's disappearance, and police say that unless they find Walter's remains, the case is likely to end with just the theft convictions, which 24 months just does not seem like a lot for the, the amount of years that he you know, was taking money out of his dad's social security, and really he's been gone this whole time. I'm not saying that Gary killed him because there's no evidence of that, but like what happened to his dad? And why would he keep pretending that he's alive? That's just really fishy to me. I don't know. See, like, this is where the case stands today. I don't know what happened to Walter Dunson. Um, but I did read that his grandson that he never got to meet um, wants to keep his case alive so that they can find him and properly bury him because I read that Walter Dunson is a World War One veteran and received a bronze star for his bravery so it even if he wasn't it's still important to figure out what, what happened to him Gary Adams is still living um, from what I could tell, so hopefully someday he'll say what happened to his dad. I have no idea. Um, I don't know why he would keep that a secret. I mean, even if he, because he, he still claimed his innocence, so, um, and what happened to his father. Um, okay, well, where is he then? Like, you, you're the only one that seems to know. Nobody else knows him. Nobody else has seen him since 1980s, so that's, that's a huge chunk of time to not be seen. What happened to your dad? Where could he be? He needs to be properly buried and, and be with his family. The family that wants to know him and be with him deserves to know what happened to him. Like his friends, his family, they all deserve to know. So I hope that someday they can find out. Um... I have a picture that I found of him that they posted. Um, so I'll put that on my Instagram. Um, but yeah, that's. <sighs> Walter was 97 years old at the time of his last contact. He was black male around 5'8 and weighed 150 pounds. When he was last seen ever, he was wearing a light brown shirt, dark brown pants, black leather shoes, and a dark navy pea coat. If you have any information on the disappearance of Walter Dunson, please call the Cincinnati Crime Stoppers at 513-352-3040. What happened to Walter Dunson? I hope everybody has a great day. Um, I'm going to be posting a couple of episodes this week, not just this one. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I hope you enjoy the future ones. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you guys next time.